0: Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics. Treatment for varicose veins and spider veins. Also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Aesthetics.com.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebby. As the year comes to a close, there are going to be a couple of big changes at Iowa Public Radio on New Year's Eve. Bob Dorr has been a beloved voice on the air for 50 years. He'll be producing his final episode of Backtracks on New Year's Eve. And that day will also be Julie Englander's final day on the air. I'll talk with Bob later in the hour. Julie is here with me now. In recent years, she's been the local host of Weekend Edition Saturday and Sunday on IPR. But she has done so many things on the air over a career in Iowa Public Radio that has spanned five decades. Most famously, she was the host of Live from Prairie Lights for 18 years beginning in 1990. We'll hear some excerpts from some of the most memorable episodes, including David Sedaris later on. But we're going to talk right now. Julie, welcome. Hello, Charity. It is wonderful to have you here. And we're going to go back to the beginning. Uh, You grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. How did you make it to Iowa?
2: Well, it was um, kind of... Uh, interesting. I guess uh, I was looking for a place to go to school, and I went to the Ann Arbor Public Library, and I looked in the book, and I saw uh, University of Iowa, and uh, that looked interesting to me for some reason. I liked the motto uh, of Iowa, and um, I just decided to to come and take a look, and I saw the Iowa River, and I was just smitten.
1: Nice. The, the motto of the state of Iowa,
2: yeah. a place to grow? Well, no, not that one. It's our, 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 um, our, pri- our uh, values. Oh, I can't remember it right off the hat.
1: The state motto. So our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. Yeah. For some reason
2: that just, I don't know. Spoke to you. Spoke to me for some reason. And um, so anyway, I did go to school here for uh, a time and.
1: So when you, I mean, I, I think for so many of us, when we start college, uh, we have an idea of what we're going to do in our careers, yeah. and then that idea alters. What What did you think you were going to do?
2: Um, I thought maybe I would be in the arts somehow, maybe in theater or doing something like that. Um, I was in Boston for a while, and then I came to Iowa and um, walked into a uh, a radio station. While I was waiting for a friend, a public, uh, a commercial station, actually down in Washington, Iowa, and I walked in there and uh, thought, maybe this is something I could do, huh. and they hired me um, to do a. Uh, a One of those six-to-midnight shifts, you know. (laughs) Super fun. Yeah. So that's how I uh, got my start in radio. What were you doing from six to midnight? Well, it was all sorts of things, reading the news and um, uh, playing records, you know, actually records on the record, players. Right. And uh, it was back then. And I I did sell some advertising before that. But anyway, and then later I... um, Went to a sister station of that station and worked there. Um,
1: and you were a country music DJ, right?
2: Yeah, at that. Yeah, at, at the later at the last station. Yeah, that was fun. I got to um, interview um, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass and Larry Gettlin. and uh, it was interesting. You know, were you and a I, country music? Well, fan? Well, actually, I like country music. I nice. do. So that worked out. Yeah. yeah,
1: that does work out well. So you have a long history with two public radio stations in Iowa that are now part of Iowa Public Radio. What drew you to public radio? You started at, at KUNI, right?
2: Right, yes. Um, I saw a ad in the paper for that position. I applied and I got it. Um, and I thought that was um, going to be an an interesting experience, which it was, and I was able to. I learned a, a lot about everything in public radio. There, I guess. Um, what was your role news. mostly? Um, I was I was on the air doing morning edition. I probably did other sh- another shift there too, and I did news um, news stories, feature All right, stories. So
1: host and reporter position yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you moved to Iowa City and WSUI. Yeah. Right in 1988,
2: 1988, I came here and been here apparently ever since. (laughs) We're so (laughs)
1: glad. Um, So, when you got that job at WSUI, what was your role?
2: My role there was an, I guess, uh, corresponding with uh, correspondent with or um, with the faculty at the University of Iowa, or. Doing uh, these half hour programs, I would um, I would line up uh, the the host, I would produce the programs. so I would line up the hosts from the uh, from the faculty there, covered such as things such as the arts and um, labor, athletics, uh, education, and um, they would bring in the guests and I would record those shows. They were half hour shows and produce them and put them on the air. So I had a, uh, quite a, um, a good relationship with, um, people across the university, because at the time, WSUI and probably the other uh, public radio stations here in the state were pretty, what I say, uh, university-centric. Yeah. You know, we all uh, served the university, and now it's uh, widened its coverage. Yes. More diverse.
1: So um, I mentioned earlier Live from Prairie Lights. That's the first place I heard your voice, because oh. I started listening to Live from Prairie Lights when I was in college. Um, and... That started in 1990. Tell me how it came about. That's right. Well, it's foggy. I, I remember um, um,
2: it, there was a c- connection between the, the, the station WSUI and the bookstore. And uh, when I heard about that they were going to do a, a literary series. I volunteered and um, I got a chance to, to do the first one, which was with Mary Swander. Uh, Wonderful! And back in on June fourteenth, nineteen ninety. Wow! Uh, she was the, she and Jane Stahl were the first live from Prairie Lights.
1: So, uh, live from Prairie Lights has been retired for a while. Yes. For people who didn't get a chance to hear it, what was it?
2: It was a show, a live show, uh, an hour live show, which uh, could could be daunting sometimes, um, but was interesting and and I thought uh, did serve the public well of uh, uh authors coming in uh reading from their book and taking audience questions and I would uh, be the host and serve as the you know intermediary there and ask them questions and um I always thought it was kind of like always working without a net, which yeah. is fine. I have a theater background. So it kind of brought in all those skills.
1: And it was live. On and it the was air. live, on the air. So
2: we're talking and uh, that there was a connection between the bookstore and then uh, to the station here in Iowa City, and I would get my cues on a transistor radio, if you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> and um, I would, you know, um, and the uh, the setup was very simple. It was just microphones and and so forth, and um, and yeah, and so we went on live, and everything you hear happened just like it
1: did. So it was live on the air but it there wasn't a regular schedule it was just live whenever an author came to town
2: well um we yeah I mean people knew that there was a schedule because the bookstore had a schedule Mm -hmm. so um but basically it could be from uh one uh time uh, a week to maybe four or five so I was reading all those books oh how did you do that Julie well I um I learned to read very quickly and I I still can. I mean, you know, now that, uh, but it was quite a training experience. I'm sure. I think I read
1: a lot for Talk of Iowa, but Julie, you must have been reading 10 times as much as I was reading. It it was a load. It was a lot. Oh my goodness. Well, I I want to make sure that we have time to play some of the clips from the show. And I think now would be the perfect time to introduce the first one. And this is you talking to Mike Farrell. And, Again, it's been a while, but Mike Farrell was a superstar. He was as famous as a person could be because he was BJ Honeycutt on Mash.
2: That's right. Yeah, it was. It was it really. This is the thing about the program. It, the best part was meeting authors from across the country and around the world and reading their work. And um, and so he was one of them that was brought in. He was on a book
1: tour. So wow, was he one of the most famous? Um.
2: Well, he was up there. I mean, it was nice to, to meet him and to, but he was very down to earth and uh, as you could hear it. Yeah, you his. can
1: definitely hear it. Let's uh let's listen.
2: Mike Farrell's our guest. Uh, Just call me Mike. A journey to actor and activist is his new book. Um, you know, you mentioned MASH, and I just wanted to ask, you You tried out for MASH, it was like in a fog, you said, when you got it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think they saw that you didn't see at the time, in you?
3: I have no idea what they saw. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, the, 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 the story you mentioned, uh, talking about the audition for the show, comes out of the fact that I'd been I'd, I'd done two years in a soap opera I'd done plays I'd worked in television I'd been in two tele star of two television series I'd been under contract at a studio I knew what I was doing in the business but I had held this show in such high regard that when I was invited to come and meet them and consider and and, and initially just meet and talk and then to meet and uh, do a screen test with Alan Alda I was terrified I was petrified because it was it was it was reaching for the gold ring, you know, and uh, or brass ring, whatever it is, people reach for. <laughs> uh, and I was suddenly beset with a case of nerves like I hadn't had in in years, uh, because there was this extraordinary possibility dancing in front of me. Um, so yeah, I went through that whole process in a fog, <laughs> figured I'd done everything wrong, and uh, by the. stroke of good luck. I am where I am today uh, because they said, "Okay, we want him.
1: So that is Mike Farrell on Live from Prairie Lights with Julie Englander. And I mean, Julie, you were tightrope walking without a net, not just on the air, but also in front of a live studio audience all the time. Right. Yes. And you were responsible for them and what they did, too.
2: (laughs) That's right. Well, I did try to keep a hold of the mic as much as I could while they were asking questions. But anyway, uh, (laughs) um, it was great to have them. And I think, you know, um, I guess there are varying ideas about doing that kind of program and and the length and so forth. But, you know, it just put the public into public radio for me is what I thought about it at the time and so
1: Well, we're going to take a short break. Okay, We'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking with Julie Englander, my friend and colleague. And Julie Englander is retiring after many decades on the air at Iowa Public Radio. Her final day on the air will be December 31st. And this hour, we're taking a look back. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. There are a couple of big changes coming to Iowa Public Radio on New Year's Eve. In a few minutes, I will talk with Bob Doerr, who is producing his final episode of Backtracks on New Year's Eve this year. With me right now is Julie Englander, who most recently has been the local host of Weekend Edition Saturday and Sunday on IPR. But she has done so many things in her career at Iowa Public Radio, most famous she was the host of Live from Prairie Lights for 18 years, beginning in 1990. We're going to listen to a few more excerpts from that show. We're going to hear from Susan Sontag, from Sherman Alexie, from David Sedaris, and reminisce more with Julie as well. And Julie, in preparing for these shows, the if I recall correctly, the author read often for quite a long time. So you had no idea how much time you were going to have to interview them, or was there a a firm plan? There wasn't
2: a firm plan. (laughs)
1: um,
2: It it just, you kind of had to feel it out, I guess. You know, sometimes we would say, oh, give us maybe 15, 20 minutes if they went longer. We had all that time to play with. So, um, you know, it was uh, some people looked at it or thought it was like being read to, you know, at home or, you know, by the fireside or whatever. People like being read to. And then we had that, at least a portion of it to be uh, some questions. And then that changed later on. I I got put in more questions later. But yeah, it was mainly uh, the author uh, giving their rendition of their work.
1: And... We already heard from Mike Farrell. I mentioned some of the other luminaries. But some of the biggest names of the day were coming through Prairie Lights. And the show was part of the draw for them.
2: That's right. It really was um, because there wasn't, I don't think, anything quite like it in the country at the time. Uh, People had, you know, uh, book readings. But nothing like on the radio live, a whole hour given to them. So that was unusual.
1: Yeah. And, and some really special things happened during that time. I, I want to play uh, an excerpt from your conversation with Susan Sontag. And it's one of those beautiful moments where you asked just the right thing. Let's listen.
2: This book is, um, seems to me, about, a lot about freedom. I uh, hear it.
4: That's a wonderful thing to say. Uh, I never have thought of it that way, but it certainly is about questing. And I think of, of, of questing or, or considering uh, your life as a, as a project in which you try to surpass yourself. I, I consider that the highest form of freedom. I, I, I had never thought to myself it is about freedom, and of course.
2: But freedom can be a scary thing to get, to find, uh, to achieve. And I was wondering about your, your quest in this, and then of course it comes out in the novel, this woman um, but taking the step to go toward freedom is very scary
4: well i don't know how scary it is well, everything's scary. The truth is, I mean, waking up in the morning is scary uh, going to sleep is even scarier uh, yes I, I i don't I don't know if freedom is scary I, I people say it is, but i'm not actually I'm not actually sure that that freedom is scary. I think being unsupported of feeling completely alone, feeling that you can't, you aren't in any real dialogue with anyone, whether you really can speak from your heart. I think that's scary. That's that's worse than scary. But I think um, having a chance to, to, to uh, have an adventure or remake your life or do something different, I don't, I mean, everyone says that those things are scary, but I actually don't believe it. I think it's I think what's being scary is is feeling really alone or uncompanioned. Uh, um, i don't I don't think it's change that's scary. I think it's isolation. Um, that's that's scary and it's depressing. I, 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 what I like about these characters, the main characters is that they all have some some project, you know, that they they want to be better or different. that doesn't mean they all succeed, of course, but uh, I like people with projects.
1: That's Susan Sontag on Live from Prairie Lights talking with Julie Englander, who is my guest as we look back over her wonderful career at Iowa Public Radio. And a moment like that, that must have felt so good to to get Susan Sontag to think about her work in a new way. It did, Charity, and um, I'll never forget it. I mean, yeah. because she
2: really was one of the great minds of our writing world. So she was very kind, very, uh, I enjoyed talking with her.
1: I mentioned, we're going to listen to a little bit of Sherman Alexie. We're going to listen to a wonderful, wonderful moment from David Sedaris in a few minutes, but who are some of the other authors that you, that really stand out in your memory? You met
2: so many. I have, and I was so, so lucky to have the opportunity to do that. Um, there have been, um, put me on the spot here, so many. I, The thing I could mention is sometimes the authors didn't realize <laughs> that they were supposed to be reading. Oh, uh, yeah, there was a moment I remember with William Least Heatmoon, who wrote Blue Highways, and he had a new book out. And this was taking place uh, in a, a auditorium where there were quite a few people. And, you know, I told you when I was listening for my cue on the radio and the transistor that I had, and I usually uh, meet the author at some point or you know talk with them prior to the program but this time it didn't work out that way and he made it up to the top of the auditorium and I was walking up as I was hearing my cue to go on I had about 60 seconds and I said hello to him and he said what am I to do and so within sixty seconds, I had explained to him the whole program.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: And um, that was interesting. He was very nice. Good. We did a whole hour <laughs> uh, live, and you didn't we, have
1: to hand him a copy of his book. I didn't,
2: unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> but the, you know, just little things like that. There were surprising moments in the pro in the in the program. So
1: well, and you mentioned listening off that transistor radio. Um, the technical support that you had for the show was all University of Iowa students. Students,
2: yeah, it was. Uh, so it gave them a good opportunity to, you know, to get into.
1: Right. And I'm sure you worked with a lot of wonderful students. I'm also sure that there were moments where students let you down a little bit. Well, they were all
2: students. So let's put it that way. So, yeah, I mean, but I was glad for the, for whatever help I, I could have. And um, Were there times when it,
1: you were totally on your own, though?
2: There was. There were. There were times I was on my own. So I was setting up as well as doing the program. Oh, but goodness. it was all, you know um good good fun good right. memories
1: well i want to play this sherman alexi clip it's very funny it is borderline not appropriate for radio which is exactly what his goal was let's just listen
5: julie called me up on the hotel this morning and said remember this is radio so no curse words <laughs> She sounds like that on the telephone, too, and you're thinking you're listening to the radio. No curse
0: words.
5: (laughs) So it really makes me want to curse. I won't, maybe I'll use euphemisms. So uh, I I, I don't think there's a law against euphemisms. Uh, Hi, Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm actually a little bit energized. I was home last week rather than this being like the ninth city in nine days or something, so I feel like I'm starting all over again. Uh, the tour started a few weeks ago. I flew from Seattle uh, through Detroit to Norfolk, and that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> it, it is, I, 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 uh, I, I, I said Norfolk, and the people there kept correcting me, no, it's Norfolk. And, uh, <laughs> The high school has a cheer. Uh, we don't drink. We don't smoke.
2: Nor. F- Julie. Yes, some authors were quite challenging.
1: Oh my gosh, what
2: was going through your mind while he was doing that?
1: Well, Charity was live.
2: There was not much I could do. I'm so sure. there I, we I go. I think my
1: my brain would have just been like a black hole.
2: He had he had been on before. We had kind of a. Fun relationship, yeah. you know, as far as communicating. With well, it was each other. fun to hear him tease yes. you a little yes, bit. Yes, yes,
1: <laughs> was delightful. I can, I can just imagine. Um, yeah, that wow, quite a moment. Yes. Um, and again, I don't want to run out of time to listen to David Sedaris. This has to be one of your most memorable moments. It
2: was one of them, definitely.
1: All right. So this is David Sedaris on live from Prairie Lights. Any chance that you would sing to us tonight?
6: For twenty (laughs) dollars.
2: Let's see. You've got three dollars in there, so seventeen is all we owe. Oh no, this would be a twenty on top of that. On top of that. I. I guess that's. uh, I guess you're not going to then. No, no, not for under twenty dollars. Okay. Other questions for? Oh there, there, there's a dollar it's okay we're uh we're at nineteen now,
6: that was just one dollar well, yeah, uh, all right.
2: other comments or questions for David Sedaris. This book is being made and adapted into a movie. Is that right? A film did I read that?:
6: Yes, uh, a fellow named Wayne Wang. He made a movie called Smoke
2: Oh and, five. Uh,
6: that's fourteen more dollars we'll need. Um, okay. <coughs> a fella named Wayne Wang. He made a movie called Smoke, and he's adapting this into a movie. Oh,
2: Smoke! Yeah, that's.
6: Uh, and I'd never seen. Uh, so he wrote a screenplay, and then I'm supposed to. Uh, mo- mo- most movies never get made, so yeah. who knows what's going to okay. happen? I, I, and I'm I generally don't.
2: Uh, the, we the rustling of the crowd, and they're they're handing. David, you're going to have to sing. They're going to pay you to do this. Uh, We've got, I don't know how much money. I think we have almost over $20 now, David. And so, oh, okay. Oh, and they pass the cup around. More money. You're going to have to sing for this, David. Sing for it now. You're going, uh, okay, he's going to the... uh,
6: all right. Normally it song. takes a certain kind of microphone, so I will
2: Ah no, you cannot do that, sir. Uh, no, I know, I, <laughs> yes, I, well, I guess I could have got my money, so I will you do got, it. Okay, good. All right.
6: People would ask me to do that and I always just felt sort of it's fact, I just afterwards I would just feel so cheap in a way. But
4: <laughs> but if you if you, you ask people uh, to
6: give you twenty dollars yeah. then you have to work really hard to feel it cheaper. It than cheapens that. it oh, more, well. right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. My baloney has a first name. It's O S C A R. baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why I'll say that Oscar Mayer has a way with (laughs) B-O-L-O-G-N-A. think that that means that no more tips should go into that job <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: D- david sedaris teaching us what it would have sounded like if billy Holiday had sung the oscar meyer song oh julie that, and again i mean remember that is all live all you've got life. an audience you're trying to conduct an interview That's people right. are raising money wow
2: it was something nerves of steel julie <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it, it was a, it's something you just can't set up anyway. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah,
1: definitely. I'm sure everybody was talking about that moment. Probably people stopped you on the street yeah. in <laughs> Iowa City to say, Julie, I heard that. <laughs> um, you have created, I think, a really lovely legacy. You talked about all those books you read. What did you do with those books?
2: Well, they were uh, many of them were signed by the authors. And I uh, donated them to the UI library. It's in the special collections, the Julie Englander Literary um, Collection at the UI library. That
1: is wonderful. That is wonderful. So we've, we've talked about a number of really memorable moments from Live from Prairie Lights. Are there any other moments, I mean, looking back on a very long career that you want to take a moment to remember? Well, I
2: did do news stories here, news features. I suppose the, one of the ones that I, it's hard to forget is November 1st, 1991, when the shootings happened on campus. And we were in the, uh, located the station in the engineering building, which is near Jessup Hall over there, where mm-hmm. he did go, uh, Gonglu. Um, and we were on lockdown for a while. And then, of course, we had to cover the story. And so right. I remember it was a very, uh, it was a snowy day uh, standing out in front of the uh, physics building where the shootings took place, where he uh, killed, uh, some of the, um, the people in the uh, physics department. Uh, Dwight Nicholson was one who had been on one of the live the, on one of the half-hour shows. Wow. I knew him. Mia uh, Rodolfo Siosan, young woman who did live, but was paralyzed, and he killed uh, T.N. Cleary as well as the, many a few other people in the physics building. So it was quite a quite a day to cover that, along with my other colleagues at the time. Um, I covered uh, the AIDS quilt when it came here. Um, uh, when I was doing the reporting there, um, it, as the quilt was up um, in the union, I recognized a name of a person I knew on wow. the quilt. So that was, um, um, you know, um, a, a Something to be to to be. Uh, it was stunning at the time. I'm sure. And then the other, um, the those half hour programs I mentioned, uh, covering women's athletics and interviewing and learning from such women as Chris, Dr. Christine Grant, Bonnie Slatton, Peg Burke, and and others like Clara Olson, who was with the UI Labor Department, who also did a half hour show. Dr. Jean Jew, and so many others who helped build a path for equality and justice. So uh, those are. Some of the standouts, but yeah. yeah, there was there were many.
1: Well, Julie, it's been a pleasure for me to get to know you a little bit over the last uh-huh. twelve years, and to get to work with you. And also, you have always been so kind in sharing information about the subjects that you are so knowledgeable about, such as Title IX, women's sports, birding is also birding. Yes, that's what I'm going to be doing. I a lot love of. that. What do you think you'll miss about radio? Um, I'll miss um
2: The listeners, actually, you know, having uh, talking to them. I just hope I'm, you know, remembered as an on air companion that made listeners feel included and connected. Just a friendly and trusted voice. So I'll miss that.
1: I think you will be. And other than birding, what does retirement hold for you? Oh,
2: uh, well, that dog I was talking about, and also, um, I don't know, getting into some other. Uh, phases of life maybe doing a, a bit of theater or see nice. what happens what opens up we'll see but I'm looking forward to it
1: well thank you for everything and I just wish you all the best Julie
2: thank you so much Charity you do a wonderful job it's nice being your colleague
1: oh well, thank you we will miss you around here thank you I've been talking with Julie Englander. Her final day on the air at Iowa Public Radio will be December 31st as she takes her well-earned retirement. Coming up in just a moment, I will talk with IPR's Bob Doerr. He is going to be producing his final episode of Backtracks also on December 31st. We'll find out more in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This
0: IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Bob Doerr started hosting Backtracks in 1984. Five. It is a weekly trip through rock and roll history, some of it obscure, but mostly it's three hours that you get to spend listening to music with Bob, much of that music from his own library, and learning from his encyclopedic knowledge. Now, Backtracks is being put to bed. The final episode of Backtracks will air on New Year's Eve from 4 to 7 p.m. Bob will continue hosting Blue Avenue and the Beatles medley on IPR. But with his 71st birthday just around the corner, he decided it was time to to record his last backtracks. And he is with me today to mark this momentous occasion. Hello, Bob.
7: Hello, Charity. This is getting to be like a routine. It
1: is. It's a habit. Let's keep doing it, okay? I like it. All right. So, Bob, you have been part of public radio in Iowa for 50 years. You hit that milestone back in October, which is incredible. I mean, you're... You're the cornerstone of this institution. How I've been that...
7: here half of its entire existence. That's
1: amazing. It is just amazing. And we're so incredibly grateful for you. So we're, we're going to go back 50 years. And you did. You grew up in Davenport, Iowa. You went to UNI. What were your plans when you got to college?
7: Uh, well, I didn't have a whole lot of plans. You know, I, uh, I was a star athlete in high school. And remember, well, you guys are way too young to remember the old uh, I'm okay, you're okay, pop psychology book. But back in my day, that was the thing. And you needed to have some kind of identity and some kind of hook as to who you were. And high school athletics made it so that other people were telling me I was okay, I was okay. And then when that stopped, I went to college and didn't have that and um, saw an ad In the student newspaper about a college uh, student radio station, which was in the basement of Malker Union, which had opened only a year prior to me uh, coming to you in the fall of 1970. And um, they were looking for radio announcers. And I thought, oh, here's another way for other people to tell me I'm okay. I can be a disc jockey. And that was the start of it all in 1971. And there I was with a bare amount of uh, experience being a radio disc jockey and a brand-new director of broadcasting who was 28 years old, came into the UNI uh, faculty and was the director of broadcasting, wanted to change things from a 10-watt classical station to uh, a megawatt uh, 24-hour operation, and there I was, bare amount of experience, and the best thing, I was available.
1: So that was that was your leap to public broadcasting in Iowa. That was KHKE, KUNI, right?
7: That is correct. Well, it was KHKE at that time. Obviously, people listening, that is the flagship station for uh, IPR Classical now. But um, that turned into later on KUNI, and it, slowly, progressively got bigger and bigger and bigger. K-U-N-I frequencies, there was more of them. There was translators in parts of the States. So every time I thought, maybe I should move on, K-U-N-I and those frequencies added more potential audience. And so I thought, well, this is pretty cool. Uh, I don't have to go anywhere, and the audience potential gets to be bigger and bigger. And uh, by golly, now it's worldwide through the stream so I had dreams of being a radio announcer that people could hear all over the world and here it is fulfillment
1: nice when you started at KUNI or KHKE back then what were you doing on the air
7: um I was first of all I was hired to be a rock and roll radio announcer because I had this very short amount of experience at the student station and um They needed someone to do a program called Progression, which was defined as an underground rock radio uh, program. And uh, that evolved into there was other new shows on KHKE that included uh, folk music. At that time, there was a folk music show in the afternoon prior to this brand new thing called All Things Considered. And um, then there was another folk show after All Things Considered, and they needed people to do it. So there I was, I was a radio announcer, and, okay, kid, you're on, you're going to learn about folk music right now as you do the show. (laughs) So it, it really has been one of those things where I got the most incredible education and people paid me to do it. Wow.
1: So I want to play a clip of you. This is from 1974. So you were what, 22 years old?
7: 1974. This is ancient history.
1: (laughs) And this is a clip of you interviewing Muddy Waters. The the... God! I was going to say great, but we'll just go with God. I think that's that's pretty accurate. Tell me, before we listen to this, tell me about where you were and, and what happened.
7: Oh, man, what a great story. Um, So uh, my friend Scott and I had heard that Muddy Waters, the godfather of modern Chicago blues, was going to play in Decora, And at the time, I thought, well, you know, I should probably go up there and see what it's all about. I knew who Muddy Waters was, but I didn't really grasp the scope of everything. And on the way up, we decided, you know, Bob, you should try to interview this guy. Okay. So um, we actually talked to a friend of ours who was a friend of Muddy Waters' uh, management team. And he said, Muddy Waters just really loves champagne. And so we got up there. We met uh, Muddy's road manager and i said well i i i really want to uh interview muddy waters i i got a a radio show and uh, it would really be great and the manager said i think he looked at me and went this young naive kid doesn't know anything and he he just said well muddy waters doesn't do those kind of interviews and i said but we have champagne <laughs> <laughs> and, and i i remember this to this day muddy waters uh, uh, manager guy goes well muddy does like his grape <laughs> and um so he, he said well come back in, in uh, about an hour he'll be here and uh, we'll do a short interview okay that's great so i had an hour to go find some champagne and uh, You know, for me, at 22 years old, in 1974, spending $8 on a bottle of champagne was like our king's ransom. Right. That was an investment. But we didn't want the cheap stuff for the godfather. (laughs) So uh, we bought this $8 uh, bottle of champagne, went back to uh, Luther College. He played at Luther College in Decorah, and uh, all of a sudden, um, the guy said, okay, come on in, and... There it was. It was the women's locker room, Luther College in Decor, and here walks the godfather of modern Chicago blues. We uh, talked and drank cheap champagne out of styrofoam cups. I will remember that to the day I die.
1: Oh, wow. Let's listen.
7: The blues, as a musical form, have been around possibly the longest of any musical idiom found in the United States today. However, it hasn't been until recently, through the incorporation into rock music, that the more traditional forms of the blues have achieved national acceptance. In an effort to rediscover some of the fine old blues men, we asked Muddy Waters who he thought merited special recognition among his contemporaries.
6: You've got Robert Johnson. He's, he is one of the best in my book that ever lived, you know, playing the solo guitar. I'm quite sure you got Howlin' Wolf, yes,
7: sir.
6: John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hawking, Booger White, Skip James.
7: Definitely you got my buddy BB King. We had so many good people, Magic Sam, them younger kids came yeah, up with good, younger like Magic Sam, Otis Rush, Junior Well, Buddy Guy. But, but unfortunately they called me Godfather. Yeah. Much older than they are. Um, the, they
1: learn a lot of things from thing, you know. All right. We could, I, I wish we had time to listen to so much more of that. Oh,
7: that zapped me right back. Oh, thanks, thanks for playing that.
1: Absolutely. I also love to hear you. I mean, clearly you have found your voice and loosened up and, and brought a little more personality to your radio broadcasts over the years. You know, I, years.
7: I'm, I'm pretty proud that that, that piece actually got on All Things Considered oh, as awesome. uh, a Muddy Waters obituary. Oh, it, wow. It ran uh, uh, nationwide a couple of times. That was pretty cool.
1: That's very, very cool. So, Bob, you were on KHKE. You were hosting Progressions. You left for a while to to be a working musician. And, of course, I think everybody who listens to you knows that you have had just a wonderful career as a working musician in addition to your radio work, you came back to KHKE, kuni and I looking for a fairly regular paycheck, which... Jeez, <laughs>
7: I have a job.
1: Right. I need a sandwich. <laughs> so tell me how that brought you to Backtracks in 1985. Well,
7: um, I think they were just looking for something to occupy Bob's time because... Uh, <laughs> progression was starting to evolve into what became night music for a while for decades there and um the program director Carl Jenkins kind of a mentor of many of us really long time IPR people uh came to me and said well we're thinking about having a rock and roll history show what do you think maybe maybe you should do that I think I got assigned because even at that time, I was uh, an older guy. (laughs) I was uh, 30-something. And um, he just decided they were going to do a rock and roll history show. And, Bob, you're the guy. And um, that was the start of the concept of Backtracks, um, which was kind of an extension of a five-minute piece that I had syndicated by IPR from the arts package at that time. So there was 80-some-odd radio stations that got a five-minute piece uh, from me that kind of did did a retrospective in rock and roll history, and that was kind of an extension of that. But um, one of the most unusual things, and unusual to this day, is Carl and, consequently, Al Shears, the music director at KUNI at that time, and now IPR's music director, um, they just okay, Bob. Give us a rock and roll history show, and never once did they tell me what I had to play and what I couldn't play. And that is just the most phenomenal thing. If you if you think about it, yeah. What what radio station in our nation or in the world gives some thirty year old kid? Total freedom to play whatever he wants. Unbelievable. And to this day, and I just delivered the last backtrack show this morning, never have been dictated what to play. Total freedom. Unbelievable. Thank you, IPR.
1: So tell me how you think about the show. I mean, I, as a listener, I know how I think about the show, but I want to know what you think. How do you conceive it?
7: Well, the show has obviously evolved as we've gone along. The first 20-some years, it was defined by rock and roll history in its golden era, 1955 through 1975. So you had a 20-year period there when we started. And uh, when we started, that was great. But after 20 years, it was kind of limiting. And so each year we have added, now now it's defined by anything that's 25 years old or older. So every year since then, we've been added added another year of potential uh, music to play. That and um, Backtracks has kind of evolved into some of these uh, specialty features that we've had. Long Songs Night, or uh, Listener Picks Day, or uh, Guest DJ Day, or comparison day or (laughs) all of these features and that has kind of brought people along almost regulars that people know through the airwaves there's uh all of these folks from around mostly in iowa that check in regularly and they have uh pics and they send uh at the time letters and now email so it's uh pretty much just uh okay bob if you don't have a feature, then it's just a potpourri of rock and roll history that's at least 25 years old. So that, too, is kind of freeing. And, uh, you know, I've done everything I can <laughs> with backtracks maybe two or three times in that 37 years. So maybe it's time to get a younger person's perspective on rock and roll history.
1: But I think, I think what you've built is a unique experience for people and a community around backtracks and
7: thank you that's probably the best um compliment i could get the listener is a very 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 big part of the show whether they're uh you know producing the show or bringing uh, uh particular things the listener is a large percentage of the program they're just not the uh, passive person who's hearing the show they're they are actively part of the program and And over 37 years, it's been so great to have so many people come in um, and uh, be part of the show. There's regulars, Little Susie, Queen of the Underground in Iowa City. Um, There's just so many folks that have been regulars of the program that that is what I'm going to miss the most. The the music, I can go out to the garage and listen to it any single time. But uh, having that camaraderie, that connection... To the listener, is what I'm really going to miss the most about that.
1: Well, we are going to miss that so much too, Bob. And I'm just so grateful for your time. I mean, 50 years at Iowa Public Radio and all of these years of backtracks. And Thank you. I can't wait to hear the last episode.
7: Well, there's recently, in the last week or so, there's been some uh, very small talk about the possibility of a best of backtracks. And um, I have a a big archive. I hope IPR has some archives. I don't know if I would be involved in producing something like that or if IPR has a giant archive and they'll have uh, some people uh, re-edit and uh, add new things to that show. But I, I would be excited about being part of a Best of Backtracks thing. And obviously all the research and the music and all of that would be finished so right. that you can just digitally just a whole edit lot easier. some stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's start again. Another 37 years. Come on, Bob. <laughs> I'm not too old for you. That Okay, here's a teaser. That That's one of the songs. When I decided that I was done with backtracks, I decided I needed to have Root Boy Slim be part of that show. And I decided that the the show or the song that we were gonna get from Root Boy was I'm not too old for you.
1: Well that is exactly what we'll go out with then here today, Bob. <laughs> Thank you for everything, Bob Dore.
7: Thank you very much.
1: Iowa Public Radio's Bob Dore. The final episode of Backtracks airs on New Year's Eve from four to seven PM. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbie. Wait a minute, pretty
4: baby.